Listeners of The Occult Unveiled, Ashley and I want to thank you for being with us since the series started. We want to keep producing shows for a very long time, and in order to keep them coming, I'm asking you to consider pledging to our Patreon and becoming part of a magical community. There are all kinds of cool perks on there, and you'll be able to help us with a small monthly pledge. You'll get advanced releases, bonus material, and most importantly, help our magical community grow. Please visit us at patreon.com slash theoccultunveiled. my mom both had a dream about a door that didn't exist in the house that went to an attic where there was another door and if you they knew if they opened the door it would open the door to another dimension and they like never talked about it and I watched it unfold in front of me while I was in the car with them. Wow Mark what was your reaction to these stories that Rebecca told you what was the process like preparing to write the book? Well, I'm hearing it for the second time, and I'm still having the hairs raised on my arm as I'm hearing it. I mean, those are the kinds of things where you hear those stories. It's like, okay, well, you know, how do you explain something like that? Hello, mystics. I'm Ashley Ryan, and welcome to The Occult Unveiled. Today, I'm talking to Mark Hartsman, a connoisseur of the bizarre. He is an author and historian fascinated with spiritualism. He has written a book called Chasing Ghosts, and one of the people in his book, Rebecca Lazaroff, is going to be joining us later in this episode. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Ashley. I start off all of our conversations with a tarot reading. Have you ever had one before? I think I did it once years ago at like a work holiday party. So so kind kind of informal, I guess. So this is cool. All right. Yes, I'm so excited. So I'm going to be doing a three-card pull for your past, present, and future. Okay. The first card is your past card, which is the five of coins reversed. So we see these people traveling out in the snow, a lot of financial hardships, difficulties. Fives always represent suffering. Thankfully, this is in your past. (laughs) That's good to know. (laughs) So your present right now is the High Priestess reversed. This is a major arcana card showing me that your life is actually a a little bit out of balance right now. We have the black and the white pillars representing the yin and yang, the masculine feminine energies. So in your life, you may be feeling out of balance, particularly as we come through eclipse season. So maybe doing some inner reflection and figuring out where that's coming from. And then your future card is the strength card reversed. This is one of the cards that really promotes vulnerability. And that's what's coming in your future is the lesson of having to be vulnerable. Uh, We put our hand into the lion's mouth and make sure that we understand what true strength is, that showing emotions and showing compassion is not weakness. Hmm. All right. I like it. So you're actually... The first non-practitioner that we've talked to on this show, how did you get involved in in all of this occult spiritualism stuff? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I you mentioned, you know, I'm a connoisseur of the bizarre, and I've always loved writing about strange, weird history. Um, it's something I've always been fascinated by. And it, it kind of started as a as a kid loving um Ripley's Believe It or Not. The old Guinness books back in the days when they were small, little black and white books, you know, came out once a year, pre-internet. That's when you could see strange and amazing things, uh, you know, every year, different pictures. And I was most fascinated by the world's tallest man ever, who was eight foot, 11 and a half inches tall, Robert Wadlow. Things like this amazed me, just the different shapes and sizes a human body could take, you know, and still function and how people lived and how they dealt with those um, anomalies. And so I've always kind of been fascinated by that. And so those sort of fascinations in the bizarre have kind of branched out for me into different different elements of the odd and unusual. Um, at the same time, as a kid, I used to have these thoughts, which I still have, and kind of they came out through another book of mine, which I can mention. But I've always kind of been very curious about death and the afterlife and kind of been fearful of 
burial being the wrong idea? Like, what if it's wrong? <laughs> you know, this is just, again, like things that were occurring to me as a kid. What if we won't know that? You know, what if there's some consciousness that's left over and it's trapped and we're all six feet under in a black box and, and stuck there for eternity and how horrible that would be? And there's nothing you can do about it. So these things have bothered me, you know, for, for most of my lifetime now. Um, so, so those kinds of things are kind of in my background. And then a few years ago, um, I started kind of getting more into uh, spiritualism, mostly through collecting old books. So I have a, a, a pretty good book collection now from the late 1800s, early 1900s on spiritualism. And I just find them to be wonderful, amazing books filled with with these, uh, you know, there's a variety of them. Some of them are more from the skeptical side. Some of them are more from the medium side. Um, some of them are completely filled with interviews from from different spirits. You know, one of them is called The Next World Interviewed, wow. which is all mediums interviews with these luminaries from the past. You know, Benjamin Franklin, for example, Abraham Lincoln. And it's they're talking about the other side and what they've experienced and what death is like and uh, advice for the living. And it's, I just find it to be amazing. Um, not only the words that they share in these books, but also the fact that you just had millions of people at this time who were convinced that these mediums were all real um, and that they could communicate with their lost loved ones. And uh, yeah, I think of what a time that must have been. And you think of also the context of that period when you had such a an influx of new technologies, you know, things like the telephone, you know, and radio. And here you had this invisible world that was coming to life, right? Like a voice could travel um, to, to many places, you know, in the example of radio. So it suddenly might not seem so far-fetched that we could also reach the other side. And so you have this kind of interesting uh, piece of history where all these beliefs came together, all these technologies, beliefs, happenings, and it just contributed to this, you know, amazing phenomenon of spiritualism. You and I have a connection to Ripley's Believe It or Not. In college, I actually worked at the original, the first Ripley's Believe It or Not in St. Augustine, Florida, and it was very haunted. So there was a room of traditional native caskets, and I never liked going through that room. Um, I worked right next to it at the hand wax station. And you could hear like moans and groans from it sometimes really like when you were cleaning up at night. So that is so cool that like we both really like Ripley. I think that he really did open up at least the more contemporary mind to like the bizarre things. And honestly, we see that spiritualism really does go way back into America's roots. There's a great book by Mitch Horowitz that talks about like how it's so deeply rooted into our our belief system. And you've done a lot of interviews going through that history. And you do you think it was because of the Civil War that people were really obsessed with death? Like what what propelled that? I think the Civil War was a really helped fuel spiritualism. You know, but that's that's early 1860s. And so you did have that just massive grief, you know, that people were really holding out any kind of hope that maybe they could reconnect with their lost loved ones. There was just so much of it. So yeah, they were they were willing to believe, I think more willing to believe because they, they really had a sudden need, you know? Um, but I would say it's, it's not what really sparked it necessarily because it started, you, you would, most people would, would just attribute at the beginning of modern spiritualism to 1848, you know, just uh, a few weeks ago or a month ago, I should say, um, April 1st, March 31st, when the Fox sisters in Hydesville, New York, you know, these two young girls started hearing uh, spirit rappings and knockings and uh, attracted all the neighbors and everyone believed that they were communicating with a ghost of uh, someone in their cellar. And things really took off from there. And I, I tell all that story in Chasing Ghosts, but it's an amazing story. But I think that I get into stuff before that as well. So like I said, that's kind of marks the beginning of, of modern spiritualism. But it's not like all of a sudden people believe that they could speak with the dead. Like that's a, that's a belief that goes way back, you know, centuries. Um, and you had it kind of brewing in that region, you know, sort of the Western New York, um, Northeast region. Uh, you had Andrew Jackson Davis, you know, the Sarah Poughkeepsie, who was kind of having these communications with the beyond and writing, you know, 
uh, prolifically about it. Um, and you had just, you know, you had all these new religious movements as well. You had people kind of heading out, you know, pioneering out towards the West and kind of, you know, making their way through Western New York. And you had these different, different kind of religious beliefs sprouting up, you know, kind of uh, breaking away from the old traditions and kind of having some new thoughts about things. And I think all that stuff, again, kind of came together um, to, I think, create more belief about the Fox sisters. And on top of that, you also had, you know, it's uh, as I'm, you know, we can get more into this as we talk more about chasing ghosts, but there's such a high percentage of female mediums. And I think that's another thing that was going on at the time was women didn't have many opportunities. And here, all of a sudden, these two young girls and all these other mediums, uh, their older sister, Leia Fox, I think kind of realized this, hey, this is a new job for us. We can, you know, we can be, we can dominate this field. We can be in power and we can connect with the beyond. And what's more powerful than that? And that was a great new job opportunity. So I think there's just, you know, there's a lot of different factors I think contributed to the rise and the popularity of it. Thank you for sharing that. Like it shows like the deepness that this runs in like human curiosity. Was your family supportive of your curiosity growing up? Did you share your passion with others? They were supportive. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if they were as into all this stuff as I was, you know? but like we would, we would actually watch Ripley's, believe it or not, at dinner, you know, like that was on TV. So it was just kind of being fed into me. I remember watching The Elephant Man with my parents and I was probably like seven years old or something when that came out. I don't know. We watched it. I feel like we watched it on HBO when we first got HBO or something like that. Or maybe it was our first VHS player. We got the video or something like that. But the Elephant Man has never left my head. Like that movie really uh, stained my brain. <laughs> just those images and this story is just, again, kind of, I mentioned Robert Wadlow earlier, but the Elephant Man's another figure in history who's really, I think, kind of helped shape my fascination with the odd and unusual. And his life was just so, you know, in, in some ways tragic and in some ways triumphant. You know, here was a guy who had the worst hand one might be able to have dealt to him, you know, physically, he was just, you know, horrifying disease, you know, horrible disfigurement, but he had this wonderful attitude and he found, you know, this, uh, Dr. Frederick Treves who took care of him, got him away from, you know, the, the, the showman who really took advantage of him and, and treated him poorly and was able to, uh, find some peace and, and, and find a way to still appreciate life and to find things he could still enjoy. Uh, and I just always found his life ultimately to, to be one of the triumph of human spirit, you know, that all he went through, he could still find a way to be happy. Hmm. That is something that I wish a lot of us had the strength to do. Absolutely. Yeah. When you started writing your books, did you initially decide that you wanted to make a, a career out of your research or was this driven by the the way to prove or disprove whether spirits were real? I've always, so my, in my day job, I'm a writer um, in advertising. So writing has always been my profession, but since I was a kid, I've always wanted to really write books. I used to actually publish my own magazines as a kid and, you know, imagine selling them on shelves one day. You know, this was like when I was like 10, this is what I would do. Um, so it's always kind of been something I've wanted. And Chasing Ghost is now my seventh book. So I've I've uh, I've been you able to I've been able to do it. Yes, exactly. So I'm I'm excited about that. And it's always a thrill to see it out on shelves and you know in people's hands and hear people comment on it or see people be inspired by it. I really love those things. And to me, I feel like I'm I'm very much a collector by nature. And so I find that my books tend to sort of be my way of sharing the things I'm passionate about, the things I find interesting. So I mentioned, like, I started collecting these books on spiritualism because I was fascinated by it. I'm like, eventually I'm going to find a way to turn all this into a book <laughs> because I'm so interested in it. And I want to share all these stories with people. And, uh, you know, and again, it's, it is, it's a, it's a collection of amazing stories and it hits on spiritualism and, and different ghosts and ghost stories and haunted houses and, and, uh, ways that people can explain some of these things and in other cases where we don't know how to explain certain things and you leave it open-ended. And I like sharing all that. You know, I'm not trying to tell you this is one way or this is another way. Or this is what things are because who am I to say 
what's possible and what's not. I mean, no one, no one knows these things for sure, right? That's what makes them a mystery and that's what makes them uh, so fascinating. So I leave it open-ended. But yeah, for me, I think it's, I, I love writing. I love sharing the things I'm fascinated in and, and books are just a great way for me to do that. Do you know if your audience or your readers tend to be believers or practitioners? Oh, I think that, um, I think there certainly is a, a good percentage of them who are. Yeah, for sure. One thing that I think it's it's so interesting is that even people who are on the fence about it love to hear about ghost stories and love to hear about experiences. Have you ever experienced anything, Mark? Anything supernatural? You know, it's I, I can't say I have. And I actually talked about this in the book in the beginning. I kind of I, I'm so open to it that I'm a little disappointed that I haven't. <laughs> I've gone on I've gone on ghost tours. Um and it's, you know, it's one of those things you can't expect a ghost to perform on demand because I'm on a ghost tour. Like, that's not the way these things uh, work or, or should work. That would be kind of weird. Um, but, you know, I try to put myself in positions where maybe something will happen. I would say that the one experience I was most uh, hopeful for was a tour of the Mark Twain house with Lorraine Warren. And, uh, you know, Lorraine Warren was, of course, of, of Ed and Lorraine Warren fame, you know, the Conjuring movies, all those things. So... It was amazing to be on a tour with her. Um, this was in 2010, and it was celebrating the 100th anniversary of Mark Twain's uh, death. So I thought, well, maybe maybe something will happen here in a place that's known to be haunted with uh, a tour guide who is one of the most experienced, you know, uh, I guess, uh, leaders of the paranormal, you know, demonologist, um, plenty of experiences. So I thought this is a good shot, but but nothing happened. <laughs> but but the other thing I love about all these things, and I think you know, you mentioned people like ghost stories and ghost tours. I mean, there's such a great way to learn about history. So you don't have to. I mean, it's great if you have an experience. I think that's super cool. But if you don't, you're still learning about history in a really interesting, unique way, because that's what all these stories are about, in one way or another. Have you noticed that spiritualism or the interest in the occult? seems to come in and out of fashion over time? Well, I do think that there is certainly a correlation to tragedy. I mean, we talked about the Civil mm. War, and certainly there's a huge spike there. But you also see it again with World War I, a huge spike with all the massive loss then. I mean, that's, that's when um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle lost his son. And although he was already interested in seances and spiritualism, he became a huge evangelist after that when he was convinced he heard from his deceased son uh, who had died in the war. Um, so he then went around spraying the word as much as he could. And of course he had Houdini kind of butting heads with him around that time. So I think that you have those moments where, where more happens. I think there's also, um, there is a report, I think early in the pandemic. Uh, so like just like early, early to mid 2020 about people having more, paranormal and ghostly experiences, uh, which also feels like, okay, well, maybe part of that is that everyone's home and they're hearing things that maybe they didn't usually hear before because they weren't always at home all day. <laughs> you know, there might be simple explanations. On the other hand, you know, maybe it was just, uh, again, a strange time in our history as, as a species, you know, nothing like it before, right? And you start having different experiences or, or wanting things to happen or you know, open to different things. I think there's just different factors that contribute to it all. I couldn't agree more. I think tragedy and fear really spike interest in like pushing and pushing boundaries and looking for other answers. In particular, um, the 2016 election, there was a massive, uh, if you look on Google's history, it was something crazy like a 500% increase in astrology searches, trying wow. to explain what happened. <laughs> We, we all want answers, you know, and I, I, that's human nature, right? That's one of the things that makes us human is we want answers. And we, if, if answers are not given to us, we go find them on our own. And uh, yes. this is one thing, a little bit with this book and talking to some more scientifically, you know, parapsychologists. Um, but also, I, I'm working on a new book now on UFOs, and I've talked to various scientists. And they'll say, hey, we don't we see these, you know, evidence of in recent, you know, years um, from Navy pilots, that kind of thing. And we're just, people are assuming it's extraterrestrial because we don't know what it is, but we just have more science to learn. 
And we have to be patient because it takes time for those answers to come through. You know, they have to collect data. They have to do things. You know, there might be physics we haven't learned yet. We don't know everything yet. So it's that idea of we all want answers right away, uh, but sometimes they just haven't been provided to us yet. Uh, so things may change in the future. This quote often gets misquoted to be Nikola Tesla. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but it's magic is science that we don't yet understand. Yes, I know the quote. I'm not sure if that's Tesla either, but yes, absolutely. I like the sentiment of it. Me too. I want to ask you this question. You may or may not know, but there has been um, recently in the last five years, many CIA documents that have been declassified regarding remote viewing and working with uh, traditional parapsychological things. Remote viewing. Remote viewing is a practice of seeing impressions about a distant or unseen subject by sensing with the mind. What do you think about governments looking into this kind of supernatural state as a historian? Is that something we've done before or is this kind of new? Oh, I think all the remote viewing stuff is is fascinating. Um, the government's been doing that. I mean, going back, I, th- I think going back to like the mid 20th century, they had remote viewing programs. Um, definitely, they were looking into that using people to, to, you know, see how we could have an advantage over the enemy, you know, especially I think Cold War time, any little advantage they were going to explore and uh, exploit as much as they could. So yeah, I mean, I think that it's not something they're going to talk about a lot, but I think parapsychology has certainly been something that they've they've used in their arsenal of, you know, any any again, any way that we can find an advantage. And uh, if we can tap into people's powers, then they're going to do it. I think it's it's cool. Yeah, I, I think it's really cool too to see that the government is willing to put money into things like remote viewing, also known as astral projection. Just like really like, that gives me pause, right? To like reconsider if I'm a skeptic, if the government is looking into this, maybe there's something there. Yeah. I mean, it's great. I, I spoke with um, uh, the director of the Ryan Research Institute, uh, a few good stories and quotes from him in the book. And I mean, he's talks about things like that. He's seen, experienced, tested. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of amazing things out there that, you know, are, are certainly not mainstream, but um, they seem to have good evidence for that. You know, people seem to be able to tap into some kind of some kind of power. You know, whether it's uh, psychokinesis or whatever it might be, but there's something to it for sure. And again, that's I, I find all that fascinating. And it kind of goes back to my my first thing I mentioned. You know, the world's tallest man ever. Here's another thing that the body is capable of that I just find fascinating. Like, can we actually move things with the mind? I mean, that's it's an awesome thing if we can do it. Yeah, it really is. Anything that the Claire's are are really cool being able to, to have extra sensory abilities. In all the research that you've done and the interviews that you've taken, have you noticed that there's a specific demographic of people who have experiences? Is it women? Is it older people, younger people? I would, I kind of feel like I, I've heard a little bit from all kinds of people. You know, I don't know. I mean, I would say that, you hear a lot of stories of children, and um, when we talk to Rebecca, you know she'll she'll have a story like that. And there were other people I talked to who had similar types of stories with their kids. But then I had like, uh, you know, other friends who would come out. Oh, I had an experience. You know, just kind of random people that I wouldn't have thought that about, had not said anything to me in the past about until I told them I was working on this book, and they would tell me these experiences they had. I don't think that people are always terribly comfortable talking about it. Um, or just coming out with it. But then when you get into it, you find out that I think more people have had these experiences than you might think. Um, so based on that, I mean, you know, that might be somewhat of a small sample size, but I would say not, I wouldn't say there's a specific type of person. I teach my students that everyone is born with the capability to wield magic, to have experiences, and that some people will be more naturally open or more naturally gifted into it. Like people who are more likely to be have the ability to be hypnotized, for example. You have a degree of it. And over time, through practice and work, that you can actually open up those abilities. But I think it's inherent in everyone. Yeah, yeah. And I would agree. I think that um, you can, I think, do certain things to make yourself more 
open to those those possibilities. I mean, like I said, I I have an open mind with it. I just haven't uh haven't seen something that that convinced me or experienced it, you know, shook me or anything like that. But uh maybe maybe it's it will still happen. We'll see. Yeah, I think that you've gone to so many so many haunted places. Uh, maybe you need to bring a, a priest with you <laughs> to opening a conjuring circle. Yeah, yeah. I went to um, the uh, Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in West Virginia and did a good ghost tour there, and I had some hope. Um, and then there was like there was one moment where they they were trying to communicate with the spirit that they uh, believe is in the on that particular floor, and there were some noises. I don't know. They just they just weren't convincing and i don't know if it was because maybe it was partly because of being in the tour it felt almost manufactured i don't know there was something mm. about it where like i feel like i should be more excited right now but i'm not um not a conscious decision to not be it just didn't feel that you know oh i've got a but, story um, for you so i used to be a ghost tour guide back in college when i was working uh before i worked for ripley's believe it or not i worked for another ghost tour company and I went out to the old lighthouse on Anastasia Island in Florida. At nighttime, the inside of the lighthouse is shut down. You can't go inside of it. And I was out there at 11 o'clock at night with a group of 20 to 28 people. And all of a sudden, I see the lighthouse, like middle light turn on. And we everyone looks at it because, like, you know, it's the only light in the area that turns on. And we see a figure of a woman walk across, but she has like this big bustle butt that they would have had in like mm-hmm. a century ago. And I am like stunned. I have, my mouth is open. Like I'm like, holy shit, did that just happen? And of course, like the people around me are like, oh, what a funny joke. Like, is this part of the tour? Are we supposed <laughs> to believe that? And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. I didn't, that's not part of the tour. So um, we're all going to get back on the bus and go now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think because of the context of being in a tour, it kind of throws you off a little bit, I think. So it's I by the way, I did a ghost tour in St. Augustine a few years ago, which, again, didn't see anything, but learned a lot of cool history. So, I mean, that's kind of in in the old jail. Did you go inside of there? The old jail. Um, I don't remember if we went to an old jail. Okay, Mark, you have to go to the old jail because I'm actually part of their tour now because of the stuff that happened to me in there. Oh, neat. Yeah, the old jail is uh, has some pretty cranky, angry ghosts that were not the most upstanding people in the world. And I was a young 18-year-old blonde girl who had some pretty unsavory experiences with said ghosts. So hmm. they're very active. Um but what I love about your book and the way that you conduct your work is that it is non-judgmental, that you're not here condemning people who believe or see things, and you're not saying that it is all just woo and, and excitement. You have a very objective and open mind. And I'm so grateful that you brought one of your guests from the book named Rebecca Lazaroth today, and I want to introduce her and thank you so much, Rebecca, for for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So how do you two know each other? What's the story there? Uh, We met through work originally, and um, uh, I, you know, I'm an admirer of his professional work, and um, we got to talking about the book that he was writing, and it led to conversation around experiences in my family. Are you like, is your family into magic and spiritualism? What's the story there? Um, yes. And then we actually learned that the, I have family history in it. So um, I would say it's, for in, in my experience, it began with my mom who was um, like in a coven when I was a kid and read my tarot cards and all the time and like was um, very into um, otherworldly topics. And I naturally gravitated towards it as a kid also. So, um, for whatever reason, but I remember we had these books of, um, like the, the, they're like time life books or something. And they were all on the, um, UFOs and ghosts and like uh, all different kinds of things. And 
um, reading the one on um, astral projection, remote viewing, I guess, and going to my bed that night and every night afterwards trying to like will myself out to like <laughs> into the world as a small kid. Um, and so that's just kind of how I, I, I grew up. And then, um, as I got older, I just had a really deep interest in, um, to me, it's like, you know, like how the world works in a way, you know? So I, I, um, I minored in, in, um, religion in college just to learn about different faiths and belief systems and how the, like the origins and myth and mythology and, and things like that. Um, and then, um, I had some experiences with my daughter when she was born, um, not when she was born, but actually when she was like two and a half years old. Um, and the first thing that happened was, um, at bedtime when I was tucking her in now just the, the regular nighttime routine. And I went to leave and she said, um, uh, but mommy, what do I do about, um, the man that comes? And I said, you know, what, what man that comes? What do you mean? She's at night, the, the worker man that comes to my room. And I said, can you describe the worker man? And she did, you know, and it was just, it sounded like a construction man is what it, it sounded like, what, you know, the way she described him. And I said, well, where does he come to, where does he come in the room? And she pointed like right behind me because I was by her door. And I said, well, what does he do when he's here? And she said, he just looks at me. He just stands there and looks at me. Uh-uh. No, no, no. <laughs> I know. And I said, are you frightened? Does he frighten you? And she said, no. And I said, well, you can ask him to leave. You can just tell him, no, thank you. You're not welcome here. I don't want you here. Go away. Just that's it. Tell him to go. If you don't want to. Were you scared? Were you, did that freak you out? Um, I mean, I definitely, um, got all the hair standing up <laughs> on my neck. Um, and, um, because again, like I've, you know, I have an interest in this and I have, you know, um, have had my own, you know, things I can't really quite explain or whatever, but I've never been frightened. I've never been in a situation where I feel afraid of anything, but a young, um, a child, you know, you don't know how that experience is going to really affect them, but she seemed unperturbed by it. And then, um, uh, as time went on, he just was no longer visiting. He was just kind of done. Um, and then, not so long after that, my dad, um, lived in California and, um, he passed away. And when my daughter was just under three years old and she never really knew him, um, it's a long story, but he, um, about six months after he passed, we were driving in the car and it was completely quiet, stopped at a light. And she said, um, mommy, uncle Zach misses his father. Like, kind of out of nowhere. And Uncle Zach's my, my, my brother. So she was definitely tuned into something that was like, she, I don't even think she knew my dad died. You know, it was like that kind of thing. It didn't even really make any sense. Um, so, um, so we had those experiences. And one of the, the stories that Mark had um, written in the book was, was actually of my mom's um, when I, when I was a kid and I was sitting in the back seat with my aunt and my mom and they retold a dream that they both had as children in a house that everybody in the family swears was haunted. My, my grandma, my grandpa, I mean, anyone who was there talked about like the whispering they'd hear in the hallways and like weird going on. And the, um, my, my aunt and my mom both had a dream about a door that didn't exist in the house that went to an attic where there was another door and if you, they knew if they opened the door, it would open the door to another dimension. And they like never talked about it. And I watched it unfold in front of me while I was in the car with them. Wow. Mark, what was your reaction to these stories that Rebecca told you? What was the process like preparing to write the book? Well, I'm hearing it for the second time and I, I'm still having the hairs raised on my arm as I'm hearing it. <laughs> I mean, those are the kinds of things where you hear those stories. It's like, okay, well, you know, how do you explain something like that? And nothing, you know, there doesn't seem to be a clear explanation for those kinds of things. And that's, that's what's so, you know, fascinating and interesting. Like, okay, so what is going on here? Uh, how, you know, how is, how is her daughter seeing, you know, describing so vividly such a unique character? You know what I mean? Like a specific character. That's mm -hmm. odd, you know, and, and for her, her mother and her aunt to, 
have this shared story, having never spoken about it again with these details. Um, so, I mean, for me, it's like, okay, great. I, I want to have these kinds of stories to be able to share. And, you know, so, so what I'm doing in terms of, of the book is I'm, you know, I'm collecting those stories, figuring out, okay, where do I bring this in? Um, you know, how does it weave into the rest of the book? Um, and that's, that's part of the challenge, I think, of, of writing and editing all this stuff is like, where do you bring certain things in? How do you edit it all together? How do you make it flow? Um, but that's, you know, it, it all tends to work out. And what's interesting is that sometimes there are like, there are potential explanations for some of these things. And even in those cases, it's not like a, a you know, a one thing that explains everything. That's not the case. It might explain some things, but that doesn't mean like maybe, uh, for, so for example, there's, there's, uh, infrasound, you know, which is this, this particular wavelength that we don't hear, but we experience. Um, and it was found, this was like late, late seventies, early eighties was kind of found to be in lots of places that are typically thought to be haunted like cellars, you know, infrasound mm-hmm. is present. Movies use it to give you a certain, you know, horror movies will use it to give you a certain feeling. Um, it was found in like, like narrow hallways in places. So places that people tend to have experiences, they would find there's infrasound, which just kind of like messes a little bit with your head. It makes your eyeball vibrate a little bit, makes you see things like shadowy figures from the corner of your eye. There's also carbon monoxide that has similar effects on people. If it's not too much to kill you, it might just affect you and it makes people have lots of feelings that seem very paranormal. But then what Rebecca's saying doesn't feel like any of that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't seem to be a good explanation for what she's describing. So maybe there's some science and some physics out there that does explain it and kind of how our brain might work. Electromagnetics are another one that messes a little bit with our heads and makes us have certain experiences. But again, I don't know that that quite uh, is a good explanation for what she's experienced. When you started working with Rebecca, did you do a deep dive into her family lineage? Did you find anything there? Well, I so first I talked to Rebecca. She shared these stories. Then I talked with her and her mom. And they had the discussion together. Um, and then, I, I don't know if I'm uh, going too far with this, but I think afterward, Rebecca got even more into it with her mom. And they started uncovering even more family history, which I'll let her describe. But I think she kind of started looking even deeper after we had our initial discussions. That's right. Um, so th- this was actually kind of a, a funny story for me because my grandmother... Um, grew up in Western New York. And um, I was homesick one day years ago, and there was a documentary on called No One Ever Dies at Lilydale. And so I just watched it. I didn't know what it was, but I, you know, it sounded interesting to me. So I watched it. And then I looked up Lilydale, New York, and it wasn't so far from my grandma's house. And so I told my mom, we've got to, got to go visit there. And, oh, it's so interesting. Okay. We never went. My mom ended up going, but we never went. And then you know, um, not long after we um, talked to Mark, my mom said, you know, we have a family house in Lilydale. And I said, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? And then it turns out my mom pulled up like all these old um, uh, letters and, you know, all the the family um, uh, genealogy. So it's my um, my great, great grandmother and grandfather, JBF Champlin and uh, Hazel. They were um, the, I'm oh, sorry, Teresa, Hazel was her daughter, JBF Champlin and Teresa. They were um, two of the founders of Lilydale, which is one of the, if not the largest spiritualist community in, you know, like definitely in the United States. Um, and they were very much um, into it, but m- more so like it became, it's like the lo- huge collection of mediums and, you know, of people who still live there now. Um, it was called like the Congregation of Light and Free Thinkers. There's like, a, like, but it was really um, a very um, sort of open-minded community of, you know, like spiritualists. And so my um, great-grandmother, Grandma Hazel, JBF and Teresa's daughter, um, that's my grandma's mom. She was known to read tea leaves and um, do um, automatic writings. Automatic writing. The psychic ability allowing a person to produce written words without consciously writing them. She read some tea leaves 
that my grandma was going to have trouble with my uncle Mike during birth. And it came to be. And she packed it up and she would never read tea leaves again after that. So, but yeah, wow. but back at Lilydale, there's like, a, we there's books about them and there's a plaque. Um, and it's like, yeah, they helped, they helped found it. And um, so cool. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. So these automatic writings, did you have, did your mom have any of those papers or anything? She swears she does. She swears she read them. We have, <laughs> so short of me driving to her house, you know, four hours away and, and yanking them out. But um, she, she's been looking for them. Well, I hopefully ideally in preparation for this, but she wasn't able to, she wasn't able to find them in time, but she says she does. Yeah. That's so cool. So you have a lot of personal experiences as well, Rebecca. You have something called morning voices. What what are those? Oh yeah. So um I'll wake up in the morning um and there's that kind of moment before you're fully awake and um most most days there's I it's like literally I feel like I'm being told something. Like it's sometimes it's a word, sometimes it's a series of words, sometimes um it's um like a suggestion like or like telling me to go like um you know do something or look into something and sometimes i don't really understand it um and sometimes it i immediately find out what you know how it's how it plays into my day or what's happening in my life and sometimes i find out later um but it sort of distinctly doesn't feel like me it feels like i'm in conversation is what it feels like and my dream life is pretty active and it always has been. And that's a way that I do feel connected to something else that like, I can't really, like some of my dreams have a certain quality and feeling and I can't really kind of explain them in in a in another way. So yeah, you definitely have a lot of active uh, psychic abilities. My question is, if you're, if you're comfortable, would you share an example of one of your, your morning voices that you've had? Mm. Um gonna laugh because sometimes they're they're so silly but um um you know one time it was literally um uh like go go buy lemons I like get lemons get lemons in the house drink lemon water drink a lot of lemon water and so um you know I I just went and did I just followed it because at that point I felt like you know it had steered me right enough um other times this is, I feel almost kind of embarrassed <laughs> sharing this because, um, I, 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 can't, I, I can't even, I can't even explain it because I still don't understand it myself. Um, but I woke up thinking, um, or hearing, um, um, giant rotating gyroscope. And <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. That's the thing. I have no idea what it means. So I had to go look up what a gyroscope was. And I was like, is that even a word? And I just make that up. And like, I learned it. I still don't really understand it. Um, but there's definitely something, there's some conversation that's happening while, while, um, while I'm asleep. Yeah. That's so cool. So, so the lemon water, were you getting sick or did it like help you like stay healthy? What happened there? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, And I, and I had, oh, that's, I totally forgot about this. So I woke up and I, I, I heard, you know, go get lemons, go get drink, go drink a lot of lemon water. And so I was like, okay, okay. And then I, um, I wasn't feeling great. And my best friend, um, knew and told her, I guess had mentioned it to her aunt in Poland or something. And I came downstairs and I checked the fridge and I made myself a glass of of lemon water. And I sat down and I went and looked in my, in my messages. And I had a message from my best friend's aunt in Poland, sending me an article about the benefits of lemon water in Hmm. like, like stuff like that. So I said, okay, then I'm going to drink the lemon water. (laughs) Yeah. We see these synchronicities line up for you. That's really magical. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, when you are interviewing people, is it difficult to get people to be open about their experiences, or is everyone so open like Rebecca? Um, I mean, people were open because I, if I was interviewing them, I knew that they 
it was because I knew they had some experience, maybe coming just from a conversation like, oh, I've had this. Oh, well, let's let's talk more about it. And they were willing to do it. Um, so it was a mixture of people like Rebecca, just kind of, you know, friends, coworkers who I found out had these experiences. And they and they all seemed eager to share their stories. Like they they didn't really want to hold anything back. They were, I think, excited to be able to talk about these things. Um, and then there were other people, lots of different parapsychologists and and different people who had paranormal experiences who were um were more than happy to share their stories. Absolutely. There was there was uh, one couple I met through a class I took, an online class at the Ryan uh, Education, Ryan Research uh, or Education Center. And they had lots of experiences in their lives. And so I contacted them after the class and said, hey, can we talk for the book I'm doing? And they shared some great stories, which are also covered in Chasing Ghosts. So yeah, I I found people were very open and willing to talk. Did that surprise you that people were eager to talk about their experiences? Um, not too much. I think, you know, like I said, I, this couple I just mentioned, they were in the class, so they were clearly interested in the topic. Um, so it wasn't something they were shying away from by any means. So yeah, I, I don't think I found it surprising. I think there were some people where I thought like, oh, I didn't know you had these experiences because again, like uh, one friend of mine I've known for 20 years and came out and told me all these different stories. He'd had multiple stories over the years. And this was something that had never come up before. So that to me was a little bit surprising, but then he was excited to talk about it. I think a lot of people have experiences. And now that we are in a culture where maybe there's a little bit less judgment about having these paranormal experiences, people are more more open and willing to share. Yeah, I think so, for sure. So Rebecca, do you title yourself as a witch, as a Claire empath, a Claire audience person? What do you call yourself? I don't call myself anything yet. I, I feel as though I'm really, I've only begun, um, looking at this part of myself more in earnest. Um, and you know, even like the, the, the dreams or the, you know, I, I, you know, was sharing before that I have, um, so sometimes when people message me, text me, or it's like, I, I'll get like impressions. I'll get like feeling like hits off of like the the text message or like, I'll just, I'll be talking to somebody and I'll be listening to their story and I'll like understand something deeper about it, but it's not, it's not in the context, just I get the the feeling that it is. So I just never, um, just never, I don't know if I didn't think it was different than anybody else or, 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 or what I thought, but it, it hasn't been until I'd say the last like um, few years that I've I've sort of taken a, a deeper interest in what that means f- for me and um, how I might develop it and um, and then it really came about after some um, guided meditations I went through and some things that I saw and then I found in pictures of exactly what I saw in books around like energy in the body and and stuff like that. And I was, Oh my God, that's exactly what I saw, you know, and I had never seen it before. So, um, I I guess I'm a student, Ashley. (laughs) Yeah. We're all students. We're all students of life. Mm -hmm. I remember in high school, I saw, I stumbled upon a yoga book that was talking about energy transfer. And one of the exercises was to create a ball of energy in your hand. Mm. And I was obsessed with this because I could feel energy in my palms. Like when I got my first crush, like it felt like my hands were on fire. Like I was just filled with so much emotion. Mm -hmm. And to finally understand like, oh, this is something other people experience. I'm not unusual. That was really exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is exciting. It feels like I've discovered something, you know, that's sort of always been there and you never knew it was there. And it's, you know, um, it's, 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 it's fun. I find it to be a lot of fun to, do, to explore and discover. Yeah. I agree. And I think that's something that we don't talk a lot about on the show is that your spiritual journey can be fun. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always have to be super serious or uh, ritual based, but it can be just simply exploring life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the ritual too, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Ritual is always fun. (laughs) Mark, if your studies were proved that we could prove ghosts exist and that people have these extrasensory experiences, what do you think that it would do to or for humanity? That's a good question. I mean, I 
first of all, I think that would just be amazing because all of a sudden you'd have the answer to, you know, one of humanity's oldest questions of, is there life after death? And to find out, you know, I, I, we were talking about this earlier with Rebecca, like if I saw a ghost, I would be, I, I find it interesting that ghosts are like in the, the realm of horror as if this is something scary to be afraid of. It should be exciting and awesome because it means, okay, here's some proof that there's something else there. And that going back to my childhood fears that we don't just end up in a box afterward and that's it, but there's something else out there, some other plane of existence, which seems very uh, wonderful and should be very reassuring, I think, that to know that there's more to everything that you're doing. And maybe that also means that what you're doing now matters more. I mean, it's almost like the idea of religion, you know, so much of religion is based on like, oh, I have to, I'm living a good life now in hopes that if something, if there's a heaven or whatever, that I go to heaven, right? That's kind of a general belief. And then here you'd have basically, whether it's heaven or not, or whatever the religion might be, you'd basically be saying, okay, there is an afterlife. So maybe the things I do here on earth do matter more. And maybe that will affect and change the way I live because it's, it's a real thing. Like it's no longer a belief system, a maybe this is, you know, this is the real deal. Um, that said, that might also completely shake up world religions. Who knows? Um, maybe that's a good thing. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think that would be an incredible situation and uh, ultimately should be a good thing for humanity. I would think so too. I want to ask you, where can people find your book and where can we find you online? Oh, thank you for asking. Yeah, so the book is available. should be pretty much any bookstore you go to. Um, you can go to you know independent bookstores, Barnes & Nobles. Of course, you can go online, uh, Amazon, bookshop.org. Um, pretty much, I think every online bookseller has it. You can go to my site um, and you can find some links there. It's markhartsmanbooks.com and I spell Mark with a C. Um, so M-A-R-C-H-A-R-T-Z-M-A-N books.com. I also have a site called weirdhistorian.com and you can see a lot of stories about the paranormal and other oddities there. Um, I post there somewhat frequently and a few stories from Chasing Ghosts originate as, as just quick stories um, yeah, for Weird Historian that I then expanded on for the book. Oh, how cool. I know that we will also be linking to your website and your book at theoccultunveiled.com. And thank you, Mark, for coming and sharing your process. And Rebecca, thank you for sharing your personal experiences and being vulnerable and open to the world. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. And until next time, my dear listeners, stay magical. The Occult Unveiled is produced by F Street Productions and M is for Magic. Our executive producers are Ashley Ryan, Michael A. Simon, and Scott Kushner. Our segment producer is Deborah Simon. Our audio producer is Bill Schultz. Our talent booker is Perry Turcott. Laura Kaufman is our coordinator. Thank you for listening. And for more information on any of the topics you heard today, plus really cool links and ways to learn about Ashley, Pythian, and all of our guests, go to the occultunveiled.com website. The Occult Unveiled, copyright 2022.